Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. We're back here on the Fan Midday Show from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway here on Carb Day with Brennan King. I am Jimmy Cook. Joined by one of our favorites, one of your favorites, if you haven't been under a lock, a rock the last four years, it's Joey Molinaro, Indy's own. There Follow the boy on Twitter, at Joey Molinaro. Joey, how we doing? My boys, thanks for having me, man. Nothing better than being here on Carb Day. The sun is out and shining. Look at this crowd. I mean, this is, this is something, man, so I'm thrilled to be here. Hey, man, this place, with you growing up around here, how did it start for you with the love, and kind of how has it grown to where you are today? It's gone from, I'm sure, diehard fan to media personality. It's pretty cool. Honestly, it's pretty funny, and I talked about it last night at the Vogue, but I did not grow up coming here. Really? I I, I, I was a Southside kid, indie born and raised, but all the time on Memorial Day weekend, I was playing in, like, travel baseball tournaments and stuff, right? So we had, like, other humble priorities that were yeah, going big, on. That's big, not big a humble travel, brag yeah. at all. That's not a humble, big, humble brag no, at all. Big travel guy. I'm oh, saying, yeah, you're yeah, scouted yeah, out there. yeah, 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 right. The 12-year-olds with, the, you know, the <laughs> Indiana Bulls. <laughs> like, bring in the writing. Uh-huh. Yeah, all the dads are uh, doing the scouting out there. Uh, but that's what I was doing. So I didn't actually start coming here regularly until I worked for the fan. Wow. And so I was here and started getting, in, you know, uh, ingratiated with it when I worked for the fan. And then I really fell in love with it when I was, like, 21, 22, 23. And uh, that wasn't even me going to the snake pit or anything, right? I mean, I was here working, and I fell in love with it. And now it's become a whole thing, a very, very big part of my life. And uh, I love it more than anything, man. This is May is better than Christmas. It really is. Walk us through the last 24 hours for you, because yeah. you, you and I both go in around Cali High on the south side, uh-huh. and we know the hours that you put into the career that you built for yourself, yeah. getting to headline at the Vogue, yeah. getting your name up on, on the placard outside. I mean, this feels for us anyway, maybe not for you, like a media rounds for you, get an opportunity to catch you after that because <laughs> of how special that event was. It was very special, man. And, and thank you to, to anybody out there who's listening who came last night. I know that Kevin uh, Bowen had me on, my buddy, and, and, and I got to promote it on this station, so I appreciate that. Uh, but it was just surreal, man. I mean, like, you almost have, like, a blackout scenario where, like, I'm like, did that even happen? I had to look at the photos this morning uh, to remind myself right. that it actually did, you know? So dream come true, and, and we had a, a full show, man. We had uh, Ben Polizzi, obviously, was there. Of course. Uh, of course yeah. he was there, right? Scotty Mack, Scott McLaughlin came out. Uh, Clayton Anderson, Drew Powell, uh, fellow Southsider Taylor Tijerina. I mean, we just had a full uh, a show, and we had a full house. It was really, we had people upstairs, we had people downstairs. Uh, the Vogue was popping last night, and uh, I'm really just riding off of that high right now, man. Absolutely, yeah. Joey Molnero, our guest here on our special Carb Day Midday Show Edition program. Cars on the track, beautiful sound. Boys, it's a gorgeous day. I, Joey, for you, getting to know the personalities of the drivers. I get to experience mm-hmm. it, getting to know the future Cubs and yep. telling their stories. But for you to kind of tell their story from an off-track perspective, you really get yeah. into their lives and their upbringing. So how cool is that for you as you continue to fall in love with this place more, man, after, I, more and more after a year? That's what I try to tell. You know, I try to bring newcomers into this series, into this sport, into this place, because I say, look, you get access like no other type of sport or series. You know, Joseph Newgarden is the Aaron Rodgers of our sport here, right? 
you can be 30 minutes out of before the big show and you can get a selfie with him, an autograph with him, and you can be in his garage, right? I mean, that's a very affordable, easy thing, you know? And all these guys have such great personalities. They're so fun. They're so engaging. Uh, and that's what I try to push to everybody is like, these guys want to have fans. These guys want people to come out to the track. They want people to come up with them and take selfies with them and sign autographs and engage with your kid or your nephew or whoever, or even you. Um, and so, you know, I love these guys. That's part of the reason that I fell in love with this uh, place and this series as well. It's just, you know, the New Gardens. Uh, the, the Rossi sometimes, if he's in a good mood, right? Uh, the Scotty Max, uh, the James Hinchcliffs of the world. You know, they're all just great dudes who want to have fun. Connor Daly, obviously. Uh, and, and I think more people need to see that. You and Connor, speaking of him, host the Speed Street podcast. You yep. get that wherever you get your podcasts. Yep. And we had him on yesterday. And I'm hoping you can maybe provide a little bit more clarity here because perhaps he was keeping <laughs> oh his cards close to the chest. Okay. We brought up the fact that last year he was a part of Beadgate where he had 1.75 million of those little uh-huh. micro beads yep. poured into his hot tub. Yep. And throughout all those articles, I was going back and rereading them, he mentions he was planning retribution in terms of the prank uh, aspect of that, of trying to get revenge. He told us yesterday, dodged the question a little bit in terms of he was going to retaliate. He did say, though, they had some saran wraps of scooters and golf courts and all all starts other chaos out there on the lot. Is there anything in the works there at all? You know, it's just letting it go and turn the other cheek. It's very interesting because we're two days out from the race. Right. And it's been pretty tame over there. That's what he said. You know, last year I was out there one night, and I won't name names, but there was people putting golf carts on top of other golf carts. <laughs> there was people putting golf carts, trying to put them on top of motorhomes. Um, obviously, we saw what happened with Connor in his hot tub. It was very nefarious there last year. This year, we've seen some, like, pixie handles on Pato Award scooter. You know, that's fine. Scotty Mack, I think, had his Saram wrapped, his scooter. I'm wondering if they are building up for something very big, either tonight, tomorrow during the day. But at the same time, I don't know if you get into like driver courtesy. Yeah, are we approaching into yeah. race? I, game I, yeah, I think right. we're like approaching infringing on like driver courtesy of like, dude, really? Like, like before, bothering a starting pitcher. Yeah, the like before the big show, you know? <laughs> like, like yeah. come don't on. talk to him. Exactly. Yeah. We're gonna do that. So I have not heard anything yet. Uh, unfortunately, I think Connor learned the hard way last year that uh, you don't bring those kind of accessories into the track, at least not when your friends with Alexander Rossi. Sure. So, yeah. Joey Molinaro with us here on the Fan Midday Show, a special Carb Day edition from the track. About another 20 minutes or so of the last practice before the 107th So glad running. you guys are the ones out here, by the way. What do you mean? Just because, you know, this is a great crew. And this oh, yeah. is a crew that I worked with when I was yeah. hopping in earlier. Honestly, crazy. You guys week. kill it. Yeah. I-, I did the South Bend games Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Well, last night. This today, back to South Bend tomorrow here for race day. So, crazy week. Five Dra- hours of dream, radio today. Dream work, baby. And his Florida dream. Panthers are still Let's high. Go, man. Yeah. Let's go. Come on. Uh, hey, what's your, what's your race day routine like? You do everything the same every year? Or what, well, what are you going to do this year? We're, that's, what we're, that's what we're learning a little bit now. I got my son. He's down there sleeping. Yeah. Um, and then we have the motorhome thanks to Mountain Comfort. I love the headphones. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. We're, we're taking care of them. But we have the uh, motorhome out there uh, thanks to both IMS and obviously Rusty and Mount Comfort RV for hooking that up. Um, so go if you're if you're looking for one of those, go to Mount Comfort RV. But uh, now that our routine is wake up when the cannon goes off, you know, shoot up out of bed because we get freaked out. We'll probably already be up because we have a nine-month-old, so <laughs> he'll be up before then anyways. Um, and what we do from there is my mother-in-law makes biscuits and gravy. Mm. Uh, very
very, very good biscuits and gravy, so that's good to soak up in a little pregame before the booze on Sunday. And then from there, we have the golf cart, and we kind of roll around, pick up people who need to be picked up, take them to and from, make sure we're having a lot of Miller Lights, and uh, we start to make our way to our seats over there in uh, Grandstand B, uh, thanks to my father-in-law. Uh, we're right across from the video board uh, at the end of the pits. It's a great, great seat. Uh, but we start to make our way there probably an hour before the before the race starts so we can catch all the festivities and see everything but yeah biscuits and gravy in the morning followed by a heavy amount of miller lattes have you mentioned <laughs> that's awesome have you have you made your pick yet for the 107th running and if you have not yeah. you mentioned on a podcast earlier this week i apologize that it's escaping me but Man, you you're talked about Takuma, i know yeah. you talked about takuma sato yeah. and how he's always lurking kind of like a grim reaper it feels like here sure. on the oval because that's his specialty yep I guess talk a little bit about that with Sato, and then have you made a selection yet for the big, great spectacle race? Yeah, it's all, it was Dirty Mo Doe, so that's yep. the betting podcast there with uh, Dirty Mo Media, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, he's around here somewhere, um, but he takes us on, and that's where Speed Street uh, lives. But uh, I mentioned, yeah, I said Takuma Sato. I mean, you look, 2017, 2020. Here we are three years later, right? He's in a Ganassi car. He's going to be very fast, you know? So a 12 to 1, I think you got to like that. I have made my pick, and I made it on these airwaves, actually, with oh. Kevin Bowen. Um, I said that Patricio Award will win this year. He came so close last year. Didn't, didn't, you know, couldn't send it in turn one to overtake uh, Erickson there at the very end, but he was right there. He's been, I mean, he, he's been close. He, he, you can make the argument that he could have won two, three races already this year. I mean, he's been that close. Uh, and I think the man is just an absolute assassin out there on the track. He's always fast here. And uh, uh, the, the McLarens, you know, they've been strong this entire month and the entire season, really. So uh, Pato was my official pick. But I have also, can I tell you who else I've oh, laid on? Please. There yeah, okay, please. yeah. No, so yes. uh, Pato, you know, Plo's such an easy pick. I don't even okay, so that everybody, you just got earlier. rocked yeah, over here. Gonna, yeah, my next you just anyway. shoved it right back to Jake. I'm the Go. only one that took the pole sitter. I love the story. I love the idea of somebody sweeping sure, the sweet May. May. We saw Simon Pagano do it in 2019. Loser. But, like, that's yeah. just, yeah, everybody's like, I oh, yeah, it. I'll take that. But I was the only one of the fan to do it. I was the only one stupid. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. So it's okay. So my other one's Pato, Sticking with McLaren, Rossi. Um, then I'm going uh, Connor, obviously, because he led the most laps last year. He finished fifth. He races for this race. He's always fast here. Um, and then my, 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 my dark horse, the guy that I'm riding with, really, really, really pumped about, Ryan Hunter Ray. 6,500. Yeah. It's got him at, I got him at 5,500, so I need to get him on here. 65 last night. I laid yeah. a couple of dimes. Yeah, he laid it right there. Yeah. Starting 18th. When he won in 2014, he started 19th. Okay, I think we're going to see kind of an Elio type of situation possibly in 2021. Elio wasn't a full-time ride. Comes in, kind of middle of the pack. Sure. Wins number four. Ryan Hunter raised one here before. He's been close numerous times other than that. Uh, and he's got, a, he's got a good ride. I mean, it's been a nice, stealthy, dry and Ryan Bold black ride that's been looking good uh, throughout the month. And uh, the dude knows how to win here. And so if you're looking for dark horse, long shot for me, Ryan Hunter Ray is the guy. Fellas, I put a couple bones on Santino Ferrucci before Qualls. It was plus 7,500. So I'm that's, very envious. That, that's the ticket I'm, 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 I'm banking on, but I will say at the same time. No comment on Santino. Ooh. For, like, not betting on him, no comment. Oh, okay, got it. Got it, got it. I, 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 I didn't know. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Like, aye, aye, Captain. I don't know about uh, you. That's, uh, I'm not interested in going yeah, over to that. Also, uh, when's the next time you're going to get Scott Dixon a plus 800 to win this race? This is true. Yeah. yeah. He, that, he, that, that is very enticing. It is, but it's... You know, Scott Dixon is like the Peyton Manning of this place. Yeah. 
You know, he really like, is. He, he, he got two. He did end up getting two, and you're right, and that could very well happen on Sunday. But it's just kind of interesting that, you know, he is obviously one of the best ever. Um, such a long track of success, but he only has that one here. You know, and then the, the, the big storyline, I think, too, is when is Team Penske going to ratchet it up here? And when are we going to see Joseph Newgarden get hit? This is 12,500. Yeah. That when happens are we quick, see, huh? When are we, we going to see him drink the milk? Will we see him drink the milk? Uh, the Bus Bros, you know, Will Power's already won here, but, you know, um, and I love Joe and I love Scott, but we know that the captain, man, I mean, he has the number 18 reserved over there because that's how many times he's won here. The championships are fine, but unless you're drinking the milk, eventually something's got to give with Roger. Last question for you, Joey. In terms of looking at rookies for this race, it's, it's so incredibly difficult. I liken it a lot to trying to be a first-timer at Augusta. As you, as you evaluate this rookie class heading into the 500, what, what really stands out to you, or will you stay away from them entirely? I think the two main things that stand out to me is one's name is actually Stingray, yes. and then the <laughs> other, he spells it with a D and not a T in his last name. So... Um, you know, I mean, Benjamin Peterson, obviously, in the Foyt, you know, they, they, they have found a lot of speed here, and uh, they've, they've been really, really, really good this month. So, yeah, I mean, the easy money there, obviously, is Benjamin Peterson because the, the, the A.J. Foyt cars have been so strong, uh, and he was in, you know, the Fast 12. Uh, so if you go there, you got to look rookie of the year, Benjamin Peterson, easy money, but hey, who knows with this place, man? Absolutely, who knows? Joey, before we get you out of here, got to ask you a Cubs question. I know Kyle Hendricks got nice. roughed up a little bit in his return to the big leagues, but yeah. pitched here in Indianapolis at Victory Field against <laughs> the Indians. That was awesome. But, yeah. uh, man, the young guys coming up, Chris Morrell, that run of five homers in a row in five games. My guy, problem. Matt Mervis, he yeah. started the year with us last year. Yeah. Merv's a stud. So I know it hasn't gone technically according to plan. Neither has the NL Central, quite frankly, but I think the Cubbies are going to be okay. How about you? I think they're going to be fine. I think this is about exactly where we would think they'd be four or so, three or four games, either above or under 500. It's still May. You know, so we still have the dog days of summer coming. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, morale. I mean, what a, what a monster that guy is. He was is. with us in 19, won a championship. And the best part about him is he was the exact same way in, in 19 as he is now. Energizer, Budney, guys. This, this so so fun yeah. to watch play. Love that guy. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think the future is bright. And I think with these kind of things, you know, the easy thing to say, but it's the right thing to say, is that it's going to take a little bit of time. I mean, you totally revamped from your entire run that you had 2016, 2017, even a little bit of 2018, even though they got bounced by the Rockies. Um, so I think it's just going to take time, but I'm excited about all those pieces that they got there, and it was good to see the professor, even though he did get roughed up. It's been a while since we've seen him back out there on the bump, so it was good to see. It's good to see. Yeah. Selfishly, this is really cool for all three of us to be oh, able absolutely. to have absolutely. Absolutely. Like this. Look at this that. is fantastic, yeah. Really appreciate you making my time man. for us. Yeah, Continued sure. all the best to you, my man. Yeah, love Enjoy you guys. race day. Good morning. Absolutely. Yep, same yeah. to you. That is Joey Molinaro. Again, if you're not already, what are you doing? You can follow him on Twitter, at Joey Molinaro. Always appreciate getting an opportunity to catch up with him. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
It is the Fan Midday Show rolling on Carb Day from Indianapolis Motor Speedway with Brendan King. I am Jimmy Cook. Thanks so much for spending part of your Carb Day with us here on the Fan. You just heard the car zoom by on that promo rejoiner. We can get the authentic sound straight up right at the track right now as practice just wrapped up here at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Joining us now is one of our favorites, one of the fans' very own, as well as a member of Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the NTT IndyCar Series crew. It's Kurt Cavan. Nice enough to take some time with us here on Carb Day. Kurt, how are you doing today? Well, the weather could be a little nicer. <laughs> no, it's perfect. It's perfect. We've got a great crowd and some good speeds, a safe session. So we really had no issues to speak of. So we're ready for race day. What does Carb Day mean to you, Kurt? You know, I think it's like, I don't want to say it's like the JV game has just ended, but it's like we know the varsity games, we're, we know we're ready for it. Maybe this is like, I don't know, just before the Super Bowl or, you know, just just ready for the big moment. I mean, you look at the people and the, the vastness of the crowd and the facility, I mean, it just tells you that we're on the eve of something. So it's that's what it means. When you look at all the people rolling through here on Carb Day. Brennan and I don't have the, you know, years and years of experience that you have with this easy, event this great easy. week. And I know I had to, I had to approach <laughs> that, that was as said with as I could. That was I, said I, with I, I did the best I could there. Please, please forgive me, Kurt. But when you look at the attendance to this point for Carb Day, this is the largest Brennan and I have seen it since we've been working events here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's magnificent. You know, I think what else this day says to me is that it, it's a reminder that people come into this sport for different reasons, through different channels. Maybe they came for the racing action. There's a lot of people sitting in the grandstands. But they also came here for the partying. They also come here for the concerts. And they come here. We have a country concert. We have, you know, uh, Brian Adams. We have an EDM concert over, the, over in turn three on race morning. You can be introduced to this event and this sport in a variety of different ways, and, and one size doesn't fit all. It isn't the same for everybody. You may have come here in college, and you got the bug, and you knew it was a place to be, and then you become interested in the cars and the competition and, and race day itself. You know, some people are think they're traditionalist, and they think, well, you got to be here for the racing, but... You can come for any number of reasons, and that's why we love it such as a community event. Well, Kurt, I'm a one-year veteran of the Snake Pit one time. Uh, my first race was the 100th running. I was in the Snake Pit, so I feel a little bit guilty. No, uh, that's how... I saw nothing of the race. I feel a little guilty. So. No, that's not guilty because that's how most of us came in some form or fashion. The Snake Pit used to be in the, inter in the middle of, of turn one on the inside. And so it was a, a lot more debauchery, and, you know, it was just... <laughs> the old, honestly, old-school snake pit stories. I'm sure JMV's got plenty of them, but, I, I mean, the ones I hear are ridiculous. So, you know, people just came different, you know, for different reasons. My dad saw the, his first Indy 500 from a scaffolding in turn three. You know, it wasn't like a turn one grandstand seat. You know, it wasn't the penthouse. It wasn't a media center. That's how he came to it. So people come are introduced to the sport and this event in a variety of ways, and that's okay. With what's on the table for Carb Day, obviously the last opportunity for all 33 drivers to be able to fine-tune everything, make sure it is at the level of specification they want for race day. How is maybe the, the strategy or the way that Carb Day is approached by these teams changed over the years? So one thing has remained consistent, and that is the objective of Carb Day is to get out safely. Right to get out without damaging your car, with just learn some things, 
you know, and I was just getting ready to look at the the number of laps turned, and the difference to your point is, I remember when carb days in my early years in this career, carb day they might run six or seven laps. Now you've got you've got teams turning you know, a significant number of laps today, 20 all the way up to 60. They just run more because the, part of it is the rule change that if you damage your car and you replace your car, you got to keep your starting spot. So 20 years ago, if you damaged your car, you went to the last spot in the, in the field on race day. So that's a big change. It was a big penalty if you hurt your car on carb day. So people are a little more relaxed about that, and you just go out and try to practice. But the biggest objective is to get out safely. Kirk Cavan, our guest here on the Fan Midday Show from Pagoda Plaza at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook. So you look at the timing and scoring here. Three of the four Ganassi cars are in the fastest four. Um, I know it all matters come race day, but seeing Sato, Dixon, and Pillow all up there, about as expected? Absolutely expected. I've been saying all week, you know, until someone shows me differently, the Ganassi cars are the ones to beat. I know Aero McLaren's looked really good. I know Team Penske has great aspirations, and there are a few others through the field, Ferrucci, Rena's VK, Ed Carpenter, they all have designs on winning this race. But this race goes through the Ganassi cars until proven otherwise. If you win the pole, you're in that front row. You can dictate the pace of where things go. But as you've talked to drivers over the years, is there a preferred spot or preferred area that you would like to be to start this race? Or is it more just where you are in that final 10 to 15 laps to go window? Well, it, there, to answer your question, it's, it has changed. I was talking to Ari Leindyke about this last night, and his point was you used to just have to make sure that, that you were not falling a lap down. You just need to stay on the lead lap, and it didn't matter if you were 10 seconds back or 20 seconds back. You just need to stay there until the last 50 laps. Today's racing has changed because there's so many cars that can stay in that front you know, group and it's difficult to pass, not because of the equipment, just all the cars are close. So, you know, it's like being on the highway and you're running 65, the guy's running 68. Okay, he's a little bit faster, so he, you know, he should be able to pass you or you're past him, a slower car. But if you're not seven miles an hour faster, you probably can't get around him very easily. So the point is everybody's close. You kind of need to be in the top 10 all day. Marcus Erickson did that last year. He stayed, if you look at his lap chart, he was between third and fifth all day. And when the top two guys, Dixon and Pelot, had issues, he was there to capitalize. I still think this is Pelot's race or Dixon's race until uh, something changes. When was the last time to you that Scott Dixon kind of was the guy not being talked about from Chip Ganassi Racing? Because I really, you know, Pillow winning the pole and having a great month, but it just seems like Dixon, in terms of media chatter, fan chatter, is the quieter of the Ganassis. I think the last time we weren't talking about him was 1974. <laughs> because, you no, know, he's, for 20 years in this Ganassi reign, he, except for the two years he drove for another manufacturer that's not in the sport, so we're not giving them the credit. Uh, but, you know, he's just always been there. It's amazing he hasn't won more than one Indy 500. He's made a, only one mistake that I can remember, and he continues to be in that lead conversation. He's been on the pole the last two years prior to this one. I think he'll be in that last shootout when we get to uh, about 3.30 on, on Sunday. 
I know he's a guy that's done it all, five series championships. Six. Six, yeah, six. Um, the fastest pole sitter until this year with Pelot taking that reign, Indy 500 champ. Does he need that second 500 to cement his legacy? Not to me. Uh, I think historically you'll, you will need that. I mean, you know, it's all about what the career looks like. Takuma Sato's got two Indy 500 wins. We're not talking about him at that level. Dixon's already done everything he can do, but it's, a second one would... It would remind most of these people that he was an Indy 500 winner. In fact, even myself, when I start talking about Indy 500 winners, I'm thinking of Kanan, Castro Nevis, you start going down the list. It takes me sometimes a little while to get back to Dixon because it's been, it was like, you know, more than a decade ago. Decade plus, yeah. Yeah. You need, you need to kind of be reminded that he was an Indy 500 winner. Is there a way to contextualize properly what Tony Kanaan has meant both to this community, this sport, and this series, with it being in all likelihood his last 500? Well, he's just been the people's champion. You know, Castro Neves has, has achieved great uh, you know prominence for a lot of reasons, but Tony's been the one that's kind of more, I don't want to say normal, <laughs> he's more like one of us. He, you would think he'd be the one you'd be more likely to go have a beer with. <laughs> uh, I don't think he drinks beer, but, uh, you know, it's just he's the more, I don't even say fan-friendly because Castro Nevis is as well. I think the two of them, we're really going to miss the two of them yeah. when they're gone because they've been so connected as Brazilians, as longtime, you know, boyhood buddies. Uh, you know, they've just been connected for so long that when they're gone, I think we're really going to miss them. You talked about the, the Ganassi cars. You talked about the McLaren cars. Team Penske, of course, is high in there, too. But A.J. Foyt putting both of his cars in the Fast 12, what does that tell you? It's really uplifting for the team and for A.J. Lost his wife about a month ago. You know, it's it would be really special if, if that car could run through, the, through most of the race in the top five. I just don't know. I, you have a second slip-up. I mean, not uh, number one, number two, but if if you lose a pit stop by 60 seconds, you know, a certain amount of time, <laughs> a second is what I was getting at, that's a huge difference on the racetrack. And if that comes under green, you've lost 300 yards on the racetrack. That might be 10 positions. You've got to have perfect pit stops. Not good pit stops, perfect pit stops to win this race. Now, having said that, Jill DeFerrin had a mistake in his. Sam Hornish had a mistake in his pit stops, and both came back to win the race. But they're at Team Penske. I just don't know if Foyt. I just don't know. I mean, we got to see that to believe it. Ferrucci's run really well here in the Indy 500. He's had four top ten finishes in his ten races. So he has run well. The question is, can they make the final pit stop be perfect and win this race? One of the other key storylines that dominated the last week, Kirk Cavan, nice note to take some time with us. Here on the Fan Midday Show, our heart breaks and goes out to Stephen Wilson not being able to be a part of the 107th running, but opens the door of opportunity for Graham Rahal. That 48 hours in general for, for him and just his family getting the opportunity once again. We were joking a little bit that it, it's not necessarily a, a free entry by any means, but it's a, a new lease on an opportunity to put, be a part of this event and potentially taste greatness. How's money? You know, Graham said the other day, and I thought this was perfect, he said, you know, I'm not in the race. This was when he was out. And he said, you know, I'm not overly religious, but I believe there's a reason why I'm not in this race. By the same token, 
now he is in the race and he says, I believe there's a reason why I'm back in this race. And we don't know that reason yet. We got to see it play out. But could it be that he could have the, the most Hollywood of, of races and be up there in contention to win this race? He might be, this is really a, a, a big one, he might be the best race car driver in our sport right now. He's at least in the top several. I mean, it's a, it's a good field, so don't get, get us wrong. But on race day, Graham is a race car driver like few others. And, and I think I don't think he can win the race, but could he be in, in the conversation late? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Kurt Cavan with us here from Pagoda Plaza at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Kurt, take us into your perspective of bump day and watching Jack Harvey in that last run, specifically that third lap where he found whatever he needed to to bump at the time his teammate Graham Rahal. Yeah, that's uh, that's superhuman kind of stuff. I don't I don't know how they did that. Uh, you know, there was, and the reason is twofold. It's really though largely because the engine heats up when they make a qualifying run, and then you slow down, and then you got to go back and find the same kind of speed within minutes. But they did, and they made some. You could see it on lap two or lap three. They made an adjustment. You, the crew made a call, said, "Do this with the bars." He makes the adjustment in the cockpit, and he pulled it off. Of course, the distance that he improved is just so small—probably six, eight inches, you know, over a whole lap in terms of where he finished the lap. But yeah, that was a superhuman effort, and really bittersweet for him because. He knocked out his teammate. His, you know, one of his best friends in the sport, the guy who's helped him get sponsorship, the guy who recruited him to the team, the guy whose name is on the door when he, you know, he walks in at work, and the guy whose name is on his paychecks. Not Graham Rahal, but Rahal is on his checks. So it's uh, bittersweet. For Graham, how tough or unique is it going from a team that he's very much used to to, to an entire new new team of engineers obviously the car is is the same at least in terms of the base there there's differences here and there are nuances with it but how hard is that to be able to get back up to speed or is it as simple as just okay you're my crew chief these are my engineers let's roll so we take you over and we put you on another radio station in the next five minutes you put the headset on you start talking you forget where you're at and I think that's Graham as well. You put him in the race car, you hand him a steering wheel, and you drop the green flag, he didn't, he didn't care. Uh, yeah, there's a few more things. The pit box isn't where uh, it was, but I think he's fine. Kirk Cavan, as you take a look at another team, that last team that I want to specifically pinpoint, Meyershank Racing with Elio Castroneves winning number four in 2021. Of course, they have a priority 500 champ in Simon Pagano as well. I don't think speed has necessarily been the name of the game for them this month, even though it was a couple years ago. But You're being nice. How much of their veteran experience can change things when they don't have speed? How much does the experience matter on race day? It makes a lot of difference. You can really... Uh you can find your way on race day if you know kind of what you're doing, how to put the car, when to make pit stop strategy. Can Elio win the race? Mm, probably not, but uh, they both have the smarts. They both know how to do it. 
500 miles is a lot of decisions you have to make, and I think they can do it. What's your feeling with this rookie class? This is such a hard course. I was joking about it earlier, but not really because it's true. When you look at golf, everybody talks about Augusta for first-time golfer is another iconic venue being so incredibly tough for first-timers to get a hold of. It's been done before, but with this class, what do you take away from them? Well, it's not as marquee as we've seen, but there's Canapino in the sixth spot today. That's amazing. <laughs> That's just amazing. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jimmy Cook, I'm Brendan King. Kirk Cavett is here. We'll get you reset. Beautiful carb day. Boy, blue skies couldn't be couldn't be any better as the pit stop challenge coming up soon. I'll give you what a you tease got? here we're going to give at the end of the show. Oh, I boy. did place a small wager on a, on a rookie. We will go into that with our okay. bets at well, the end of the I'm day. Gonna, I'm going to guess which rookie. Uh, you can guess. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who it is. So. I, I don't think you need to tell me. I think I already okay. know. All right. I think hold, hold the cards. Hold, all, hold all tickets, please. Well, thanks for your donation. <laughs> they can't win the race. <laughs> oh, but, you know, you know, Peterson, that's been fun. Uh, the fight we talked about. Um, yeah, it's going to be tough. Any rookie would be tough. Kirk Cavan, last thing for me. Um, last team I haven't discussed, Ed Carpenter Racing. Ed, Connor, Renus VK. I think Renus was actually the slowest of the 33, which was surprising. 222.166. He ran 89 laps. Yeah, I, I always feel like that's a car that, that's a team that always brings speed to qualifying weekend. Only one ends up qualifying for the Fast 12 shootout. Was that a little surprising to you over the last weekend? A little bit. Um, you know, I'll just say this. There's nobody I'd rather see win the Indy 500 than Ed Carpenter. Yeah. He's, he's ready. I think he might be the first driver that I know of that cries in victory lane if he wins. I think he'll be overcome. He's a very stoic, very... You know, you know, reserved. Joe guy. Cool type of guy. Yeah, he's yeah. cool. Yeah. But this means something to him. I mean, it means something to all of them. It's different with uh, Ed, and uh, that's why he's doing it. You know, that's why he's still in the race car. I don't know if I've answered your question. Well, he, but he was just short of the fast 12, too. I mean, it's not like he was that far off at the end of the day. He was actually tied at the exact same with Kanaan. That was interesting. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. But uh, Connor Daly would be another one and have a really good shot. Any of the three of those could, could be factors. Is there a pathway for Ed? Yeah, of course. There's probably, you know, if, if you were really serious about handicapping this, I'd say there's nine that can win it. I don't have a carpenter in those nine. Mm. But uh, realistically, there's probably 15 in the right circumstance that could win it, and all three of the carpenters would be in that next six. When was the last time to you that a true upset happened here? Was it Rossi? Rossi was a big upset, not because of the team. The team was really good, but because he was so new. You know, he, he managed that race really well. It wouldn't be a shock now if he won, but then it was a shock because yeah. he was new to the rim, new to the event. I won't make you rattle off all nine, but can we borrow two, perhaps, that you think have a good shot to take this thing on Sunday? Uh, let's see. I, you... We did our tiers the other night on trackside, and the four Ganassis and Pato Award make my first five. That's tier one. Tier two is going to have Joseph, uh, Will Power, and uh, two Arrow McLarens being Rossi and Felix. 
So after that, you're looking at carpenter cars. You're looking at, let's give you one guy that that, that would be a little bit of a surprise. Uh, I will. See you have any shot? Kirkwood? Kyle, Kyle yeah. Kirkwood, probably, probably not a great surprise. I'll get Scott McLaughlin is probably the the surprise because everybody would be looking for power or New Garden to win the race if it came from Team Penske, and Scott McLaughlin is going to be an Indy 500 winner in my opinion at some point. I don't know if he's quite there yet, but I think Scott McLaughlin could steal this one. Kurt, really appreciate you taking some time with us. I know this is the, the busiest weekend of the year for all of us, but really good to catch up with your perspective. Well, I thought this. we were going to talk Colts and Pacers, but uh, <laughs> I was ready for that. We get, how about Tyrese, though? That's great. Pace car. That's sick. That We ask a lot of the uh, the drivers, you know, what's your advice? <laughs> uh, what's your advice for Tyrese? And Tony Kanan was best, and he said, don't wreck my car. <laughs> Because he thinks he's going to take that pace car home with him come Sunday night, and he just might. And that'd be an incredible story. <laughs> I don't, love it. Don't wreck my car. That's good advice. No shorter of stories at all this weekend. Kurt, thank you again for making some time. Yeah, and good fun. Enjoy the weekend. Yep. And that is Kurt Cavan of the NTT IndyCar Series. You find his work here on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Longtime writer for the Indianapolis Star. And, of course, you hear him on trackside with Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee. Every night throughout the month of May in the lead up to the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500 and, of course, weekly throughout the year as well. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Boy, what a crowd on Carb Day. This crowd is showing no signs of shrinking. This is just unbelievable. Pagoda Plaza, it's the fan midday show. Make some noise. We got a crowd, Mike. Brendan King, Jimmy Cook. It's unbelievable. Do I hear Dixie? (laughs) You do hear Dixie. Yeah, you do hear Dixie. She's hanging out just in front of us. I love it. Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, fan midday show. Beautiful day at Pagoda Plaza. And joining us right now, is there a hotline sponsor? Uh, okay. I just wanted to make That's sure. Right. I've been gone a couple months. From the DriveHuber.com studios uh, inside This, this technically is our DriveHuber.com studio. On the road. This has been the worst intro ever. Kevin Bowen <laughs> is with us here from Carb Day. KB, over the phone, I, I tell you what, from the morning show until the 10 to 12 show, that was about as clean as a handoff as you hope you get from Anthony Richardson to Jonathan Taylor this year. So thank you for that. Great stuff this morning. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it did have a, a honestly. If he gets a pit um, pit stops that are that efficient coming up here on Sunday, I think teams will be pretty happy. So I think it's great. We did a little local action with you and Scott from uh, ten to noon, and boy, now you're entering the stage where you're going to see some things that you're going to tell your kids about one day. <laughs> Kevin Bowen's with us. Kev, just your thoughts on what you experienced from Carb Day. Takuma Sato was the quickest on the track as he looks for number three, and Scott Dixon right behind him. The Ganassi cars just look terrific. Yeah, I mean, the storyline I think all really month long for me has been Ganassi or the field. And I know the Aaron McLaren team has, you know, four guys that are all going to start pretty high up there. But you look at the consistency over the last few weeks, nobody's done it better than Ganassi. And it's been a variety of Dixon, Sato, and Pelot certainly up there. Erickson has just been, you know, his typical self. 
as usual. So it, it, it's hard to kind of get away from those four guys. But the beauty of this race, you saw it last year, you know, Marcus Erickson was a great car, but he was probably the third best car on his team. But Scott Dixon made a very uncharacteristic mistake. Alex Blow made one as well. And then, boom, we're kind of free thing for, for Polo. And then all of a sudden, Erickson is there at the end and gets it done. So that's the beautiful thing about this race is we've sat here before on Fridays and felt pretty confident about a car or a team, and then all of a sudden you show up on Sunday and one or two things can uh, can go awry. But right now, again, if you look at that Ganassi group, started to bet against them. I did go with Alexander Rossi. I, I did deviate a little bit. Part of it is just I don't want to fall in love with the favorite there. Uh, but I, I'm really looking forward to Sunday. I feel like the weather's going to be great. I feel like from a passing standpoint, we're going to see a whole lot. And even today, you know, watching Carb Day, I think you saw a bit of drama, a bit of back and forth between some guys. And uh, obviously that's only going to be, you know, kind of times 10 coming up on uh, Sunday. Kev, this has been a reoccurring aspect of our interviews throughout the day, which is judging me for my selection on Twitter at 107.5, the fan, who's going to win the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. Look, I went chalk. The reason I went chalk is because I just, I don't know, I love Alex Blow as a person, the energy he brings with those interviews, and yeah, it helps as well that he has the fastest car in the field as the pole sitter for the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. Your evaluation there, did I, did I fall into a, a, a pitfall there that I should not have? Do you get where I'm coming from with that angle to become a replica of what Simon Pagenaud was able to do in 2019 or sweep the entire month of May, including winning the poll. Do you get the hype that I'm buying into there, or have I, have I fallen victim to a, dare I say, a rookie mistake in that regard? Yeah, boring as hell by you with that pick. Uh, now, of course, you can laugh in my face in about 48 hours when uh, Alex Flow is the first one to cross the yard of bricks, and then all of a sudden, uh, Jimmy Cook gets the last lap there. I, yeah, I, certainly, there's a reason why he has, you know, I think separated himself a little bit from Pablo Ward and Scott Dixon as a betting favorite. You know, obviously, you look at what he did from a speed standpoint at Qualls. You look at what he's done um, just consistently throughout the different testing days throughout the month. You know, the near miss with, you know, last year, I mean, he was right up there for a huge chunk of the race, like I said, and then, of course, the back and forth to him and Elio in 2021. So, yes, I, I I didn't want to go that route, but, again, that is more of just me as, like, sports fandom thinking. I don't want to go obvious. I want I don't want to go all one seeds in my final four, if you will. I want a little bit off, you know, the, the, the obvious. But, again, even to call Polo obvious would be – a bit unfair. It's what plus six hundred, plus six fifty. I mean, that, that's obviously not a slam dunk when you're talking about five hundred miles and all of that. And you know, I think very early in the race, you're going to see some back and forth. But uh, with, with how he has looked in the past few years at the five hundred and how his team has looked, yeah, I mean, it's it, it it's a pretty kind of obvious choice if there is such a thing when it comes to the Indianapolis five hundred. Kevin Bones with us here from Carb Day. Kev, of all the storylines, I want you to pick a favorite because they're all over the place. TK, I guess, his final race. We'll see about that. Elio going for number five. Graham Rahal somehow in the race starting 33rd. Ed Carpenter, again, going for his first. Takuma Sato going for his third. Is there a storyline that stands out to you most of anything you're just rooting for from a fan perspective? You know, I, I don't know how much this necessarily applies to Sunday's race and how it will unfold, BK, but if you look at that starting grid, I mean, imagine saying, 
uh, I guess a week ago Friday. Imagine sitting there on Fast Friday and saying, yeah, you're going to have two Foyt cars in the top 12, and if you combine Andretti and Penske, you're going to have one car in the top 12, and that's Will Power in 12. Like, to me, when you get into racing brands, specifically at the Motor Speedway over the last decade plus, you know, Andretti, Penske certainly sends even deeper than that. I mean, they are the they are the Duke and the Carolina, if you will. And AJ Foy Racing is not known as the Duke of the Carolina. And here's Santino Ferrucci in the inside of row two. And here's Benjamin Peterson as the top rookie in the middle of row four. So that is just a fascinating storyline to me that Penske has continued to struggle, particularly in qualifying. And Andretti now has kind of joined that a little bit. I think Kyle Kirkwood might be there. Best qualifier of, of anyone. I mean, Colton Hurd a little bit further back and Roman Grosjean and, and, and some of those other cars. So that, to me, I think is something that really stands out. Uh, you know, individually, I mean, certainly I think a storyline you always get to at this point of the month is, you know, what would be the best storyline for IndyCar? And I do think that would be Pato Award. You know, Joseph Newgarden is probably facing a little bit of like 05 Peyton Manning of is he ever going to win the big one? And then Scott Dixon is probably like 2012 Peyton. Like, does he need another one to kind of stamp the approval of, you know, his greatness as a driver? So I think those are a couple of other storylines in there. So non kind of Ganassi division, non TK's final one. Uh, those are a couple that are pretty fresh in my mind. Well, then let's go the, the John Elway angle here, if we will, as Kevin Bowen joins us here on the Fan Midday Show. I'm talking about a guy that is, is beloved by many, that we continue to root for year after year, that did a great piece with Bob Kravitz of The Athletic in the lead-up to the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. And that, of course, is Ed Carpenter. He, in that piece, it was, it was very, not that he's not very open to begin with, but it's very human side of Ed talking about how he's reached a point in his life where he no longer evaluates his career, his career strictly on does he win the Indianapolis 500 or not. He's, he's, he's a father, he's a husband, he's able to appreciate everything that's in his life to a point that, yes, he still wants to win and he's still giving it his all, but it's it's no longer the be-all, end-all for him. That being said, that really opens things up from a mentality standpoint of taking the pressure off a bit, and I would argue maybe not the best for IndyCar, but the best locally for Ed Carpenter to make good and finally get this thing done. Yeah, it's a great point, Jimmy. I mean, obviously, Ed, and then throwing Connor Daly as well, just with that team in general. And we had both of them on this week. And we actually had Ed on earlier today. And, I, you know, I asked him, you know, how many days out of the year do you think about this race? And he said every single day there's some thought to the 500. And for him, it's his 20th. And obviously, I don't think he's retiring tomorrow, but I don't think he's, you know, also driving in 2035 here. So, you know, when does the race kind of fall into order for him there's been moments at 140 150 160 where he's been up there but not at you know 198 or 199 when it when it really really matters and Connor Daly over the past couple of years I, I don't know how quietly it is because again he is such a name here locally but he's been pretty darn impressive and honestly you know if you would have told me again a week ago Friday how many Ed Carpenter racing cars get in the past 12 I would have thought Renus VK plus somebody else um, I would have thought Ed or, or Connor would have been up there. So do we get a reverse on Sunday where, you know, Ed and Connor maybe don't qualify as high? In Ed's case, he's qualified very high a lot in his career. But now do they have a little bit more of the race setup figured out, which is kind of the elephant in the room when you talk about Ed and Connor. But 
you know, w- when you think about roars of the 325,000 on Sunday afternoon for when guys take the lead, in some order, it's Tony Kanaan, it's Ed Carpenter, it's Connor Daly, and probably Elio Castroneves. And, you know, Ed and Connor, I think it just continues to build and bubble a little bit more. Elio is more of the let's continue to see greatness. Kanaan, it's, oh, my gosh, this dude from Brazil, like, literally loves our town more than anybody. This is awesome. Uh, and, and it's a genuine nature to it. So there's Kanaan. But, you know, Connor's case especially, and, and Ed, you know, they're kind of one of our own. So, you know, selfishly as a fan sitting in turn one, at some moment post-160, I do want to see Ed or, or Connor take the lead just because I, I live for that storyline. I live for those cheers. I live for those roars. And I can only imagine how much they think about that on a daily basis. I mean, I think about stupid sporting events that don't even sniff the, you know, 2023 Indy 500 on a very frequent basis. I I, I can't even imagine the magnitude of what this event means to so many people, how often that would kind of, you know, fully encompass my thought process. What's your favorite livery? You have a favorite car setup? Dude, that's a great question. I love Ferrucci's look. Obviously, the the, the patriotic feel to it all. Uh, I love the McLaren cars. I think all of them really just kind of pop and stand out. Um, certainly, the Scott McLaughlin history there with the Pennzoil machine. Uh, I love Canapino and the Argentinian flag. I think that is awesome. That dude has a huge following. I really enjoyed the 100 Days to Indy the little uh, segment that they did on him. I think it was the previous, not the most recent episode, maybe the one before that. I thought that was really good. Um, got the sheet r- r- right in front of me, actually. I should probably look at some other ones here. Um, you know, Grosjean, we are kind of used to that one. I like I like that, that look as well. Um, but, yeah, those McLaren cars really stand out. And New Garden Shell look. Um, I think that is also one that kind of stands out to me. So I feel like those are the main ones that I that I like. You guys, you guys got any that you were a big fan of? I'm a uh, big fan of it's basic, but Ryan Hunter Ray with the blackout with the little green—that's pretty sick. Yeah, for a little root insurance. Yeah, no, it's just sharp. It's kind of like a. Uh, oh, it's not like the Vikings helmet. You know, like the Vikings right. What kind of paint is that? What, what's that word? You know what I'm talking about? No, exactly. Yeah, it's like it's a shiny paint that? job. I like the shiny. Yeah, I don't like the matte like NFL helmets. I don't like the Vikings helmet. That's boring. Jay Cook, you got any favorites paint scheme? You already stole one of mine, but yeah, I mean, I love the the color scheme in general on Santino Ferrucci's car. I love the red, white, and blue on there. It's hard not to like the, the orange and blue PNC Bank look for Scott Dixon on the number nine car. Yeah, I mean, I look, at, in general, because of how fast these things are moving, unless you're you're watching back home or, or, or listening in the stands and seeing it visually, it's tough to fully encapsulate it. But yeah, I mean, when you go through and look at the grid side by side, yeah, there's some, some beautiful cars out there, KB. Yeah, and I'll go back to the Canapino storyline. Again, he's a rookie. I believe he was sixth today in speed. Yeah. He's a rookie, but I believe he's north of 30. So he's not, you know, it's not like this is a 21, 22-year-old in the car for the first time. And we've already seen it this year. Like, his following in Argentina is just insane. And I guess I had just not really understood, but it's, I mean, it's been years since we have had 
um, an Argentinian driver in the 500. So when you think about how big that country is, yes, I'm not comparing him to Lionel Messi, but obviously from a patriotic standpoint and how they supported, you know, soccer and it seems like what they have from a following standpoint with Canapino, uh, that is one that if he continues to race here, I think you'll get kind of more and more of a, uh, of a fandom here. I mean, look, I'm not trying to put the pressure on him, but Messi delivered the goods on the biggest stage. I mean, why, why not, right? Why, why not answer that call and continue Argentinian dominance? Come on now. Yeah, slightly different history, I would say, uh, on that end between the rookie Canapino and the whatever 30-ish year old Lionel Messi there. Yeah. Long time coming on that one, for sure. Kev, I want to pivot for a second over to Colts. Obviously, Kevin Bowen with this covers the Colts on 107.5thefan.com. You hear him, you love him. In the morning on the weekday, 7 to 10 a.m. on Kevin and Query. But for UKB, when you look at OTAs, and you're the only one I'll ask this question with because you'll give me a straight answer on it, the tea leaves, the consumption of every little nugget between Minshew, Richardson, Minshew, Richardson is going to be nonstop until week one. Splitting reps surprise you at all in terms of first OTA sessions? Yeah, I thought it did a little bit. You know, if the Colts wanted to, I mean, we only watch one OTA a week. So if they really wanted to, you know, you could have a day where we were out there yesterday. You could have Wednesday be the Anthony Richardson day and then Thursday be the Gardner Minshew day. And we wouldn't really know any better. Now, you know, devil's advocate might say, hey, let's, let's, you know, not that Anthony Richardson is all of a sudden like, oh, wow, there are cameras on the practice field. But, you know, maybe it's a little bit of, hey, let's make sure Richardson gets a taste of what practices are like during training camp and the media is out here. Let's make sure that, you know, he is in front of the media because we do want him to kind of feel a little bit more of, you know, just what comes with being an NFL quarterback. So I was a little surprised that they, they, they split it straight 50-50 yesterday when we were out there. Uh, and, and those were the starting reps. Technically, Richardson got, um, I think it was eight 11-on-11 uh, 11 11 reps in general, whereas Minshew only got four. Now, again, half of Richardson's reps were with the second unit. So, um, for May 25th, that, that does surprise me. Now, I thought Shane Second had a pretty good answer after practice and explained it. He's like, we drafted a dude who we think is really talented. Why not kind of test him in these moments? It's late May. It's not – late November, like this is the time to see what he can do, expose him into those settings. It, it, it is relatively controlled, um, all of those things. So this is the time to kind of get him out there and get his feet wet. Uh, but I continue to say kind of what I said pretty much the night Richardson was drafted. I, I think he is the week one starter. Um, there are certainly many more boxes to check there and him confirming that and tons of more practice time for him to do that. But I think if you're splitting reps on May 25th, I, I, I tend to think that arrow is pointing in the direction of you want him under center week one. Kevin Bowens with us. So I'm catching up on everything, obviously, when it comes to Colts here this week. But I, what we were talking about earlier, Kev, Jimmy and I, was this feels like the complete opposite of what a Justin Fields situation was like in Chicago because Fields did not have a Jonathan Taylor. He barely even had a Michael Pittman. He had no offensive line. The Bears stunk. Um, and Justin Fields was getting crushed. Now, they weren't very good last year either. But to me, I'd love to see what Anthony Richard is, Richardson has got with a JT, with a Pittman. And my only concern is with the Colts already having prior history with struggling with a young quarterback because the offensive line couldn't protect him, 
Is that still worrisome to you as you approach training camp of what Richardson's relationship would be in turn with the offensive line? Yeah, you know, certainly it's been a clear message in the offseason that they felt like it was a coaching issue, not a personnel issue, because it's pretty much going to be the same starting five that it was last season. So that is a clear message from Chris Ballard and company that, you know, they felt like whether it was Chris Strasser, whether it was Frank Reich, you know, whoever, it's more of a coaching problem than anything up front. That is a bit worrisome because it's a group that's been banged up. And I think, you know, yesterday we didn't see Braden Smith out there with the, with a the leg injury. You know, Ryan Kelly, I think, has had some injuries here over the past couple seasons as well. So, you know, when you test depth, you get pretty youthful pretty quick. I mean, yesterday you're starting off at the tackles where a second-year guy in Bernard Ryman who wasn't playing offensive tackle in football three years ago, and then a rookie in Blake Freeland at right tackle. So that is a bit concerning to me um, to that point. And I just think overarching there, BK, is do you have enough support for your quarterback? You know, I don't think the Colts have gotten enough out of their quarterbacks individually in recent years, but I also don't think they've supported them enough. I think both those things could be true. And when you talk about Richardson and his development, you know, one part is coaching. The other part is supporting him personnel-wise. Um, I, I, I'm a pretty big believer in Shane Steichen as a quarterback coach, but I have some questions about are you supporting him enough personnel-wise? You haven't really done anything substantially from an offensive personnel standpoint. Um, you know, Paris Campbell's gone. Josh Downs is in. Tight end group, you haven't really touched in a substantial way. Again, we talked about offensive line. So you really – look at last season in historically bad offense and you're pretty much saying it was all in the quarterback and all in the coaching you know you, you, you walked into last year and you said it was all in Carson Wentz and look what happened there so that's where some of my concern lies of I think it's so critical and you see Chicago when you bring up Justin Fields they are committing a lot more attention now to their offensive personnel knowing this is such a critical season to field Jacksonville did the same thing with Trevor Lawrence last year and then boom they go out and make a move for Calvin Ridley as well to continue to try and support him. That is something that you cannot forget about. You know, Josh Allen had early struggles and then really took off once they got Stephon Diggs. You know, Jalen Hurts was not Jalen Hurts MVP right away. He gets A.J. Brown and things skyrocket. So continuing to support, continue to add personnel is just absolutely vital with the Anthony Richardson development. Kev, you, myself, and Brendan are all in the same boat here. Kevin Bowen, Colts beat writer for 107.5thefan.com, host of Kevin's Corner, and, of course, host of Kevin and Query, 7 to 10 a.m. here on The Fan. You, I, and BK are all in the same boat in regards to Anthony Richardson. You start him week one, and you let the chips fall as they may. What would it take between now and week one for you to shift off of that and say, you know what, maybe he needs half a season on the bench, maybe he needs a couple games on the bench, whatever the case may be? Yeah, it's a great question, Jimmy. I don't want to sound too stubborn, but it would have to be pretty drastic stuff that, like, oh, my, he is just either you don't believe in your offensive line or mentally he's just not processing at all. But, again, it would have to be drastic measures because I'm of the belief that, you know, Anthony Richardson and Shane Stein can sit down and whatever. They find a dozen, two dozen concepts that they really like, play calls that they really like, and they just hammer that home in game settings because – I just think he flat out needs experience. And I think there's this misnomer that all of a sudden you sit there and practice as the backup quarterback and you get all these beautiful reps. That's not true. 
you know, if you are the backup quarterback, you're running the scout team. You're not even running your own team's offense. So Anthony Richardson would be running Jacksonville's offense, you know, from a scout team standpoint, or you know, Houston in week two. Uh, and it's not like you're doing this in a very high-volume standpoint. You, you, your practice week is really two-and-a-half practices. You know, veterans typically can sit out, you know, a decent amount of that practice time as well. So I just don't see him having this like, oh, my gosh, boy, he's practicing four days a week and he's getting all these valuable reps running the Colts offenses and that. This is not true in the NFL. I just flat out think he needs to take off the red jersey and get game reps. I, I, I I don't think there's any way to truly develop him without that. And it's funny. I mean, it's a question I asked Gardner Minshew a couple of weeks ago because Gardner Minshew started 12 games as a rookie. And Minshew entered the NFL as a you know, three-year starter in, in, in college. So, you know, I said to Minshew, how beneficial was that? And Minshew was like, I cannot stress enough how much you just need to play. You can script. You can talk. You can X and O on the whiteboard. You can watch film and do all that. There's a reason why the jersey's red in practice and why it's not red in a game. It, it, it's just different for that position. So um, I know it sounds a bit stubborn of me. I know it sounds like I'm painting myself in a bit of a corner. But unless you just have no faith in your O-line or you feel like Richardson mentally just can't handle it, which, again, I don't think that's necessarily a question with him. It's more of just accuracy-wise on the, on the um, underneath stuff. And then, in general, it's experience. Uh, so to me, I, I would have to see something drastically go wrong around him or with him mentally for all of a sudden you not to throw him out there week one. Because, and I know we're a bit over, and I know I'm rambling a bit. I don't care one bit about this season wins and losses. Okay, is Gardner Minshew going to get you two more wins? Whoop de do. Like to me, that matters zero. Watch Pacers fans react to the season they just had. It was one of the worst win loss seasons the franchise has had in the last 12 years you won't find a Pacers fan speaking negatively on what they just witnessed. That's sort of the thought process I have here with the Colts and Richardson's development versus wins and losses. Kev, we appreciate the time. And just before you get out of here, both, well, the trio of you, me, and Eddie all took Alexander Rossi. So that doesn't make me feel very good. So I, if you have to make an amendment to your pick, I won't blame you. <laughs> yeah, once I saw that, I, I, I certainly thought long and hard about making an amendment there. I'm going to stick with Alexander Rossi. You boys have a cold one or two. Outstanding work. Uh, continue to have a blast at Carb Day, and I will see you guys on Sunday. You Thanks, Kev. Love you, Matt. Thanks. Kevin Bowen with us here on The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back to The Fan Midday Show from Pagoda Plaza Carp Day here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway with Brendan King. I am Jimmy Cook. When you hear those catchy guitar riffs, you know it's only one man. It's our next guest. It's Doug Kazarian of ESPN's Daily Wager and ESPN Sports Betting Insider. Always good to catch up with him. Doug, I would argue that for a solo shot in terms of just one event to be a part of, we're living pretty large here at IMS, but we're very envious of you being right in the heart of Sin City on a daily basis. How you doing, good sir? Yeah, no, you guys got uh, the best seats in the house for the sports weekend, but usually the best seats in the house are in the sports book in Vegas, so it's a lot of fun out here. I'm on my way to the golf course, Jimmy, so 
uh, you know, no reason to be too jealous. You guys got great tickets, but I, I expect to see you this summer at Del Mar as well. Absolutely. We'd love that. Hey, Doug, it's Brendan. I've been to Vegas once in my life. We stayed at the Westgate, went to the sportsbook there, had an unreal time. I can only imagine, what's it like, I mean, if you have, what's it like watching the Indianapolis 500 on a big sportsbook screen? That must be the best way. If you're not here, that's the best way to enjoy the race. You know, everything's bigger uh, in Texas, but really everything's bigger in a Vegas sportsbook. So it's just magnitude, especially if they have the audio on and there's not like an NBA playoff game or something. Obviously, there isn't one this weekend, but in past years, there has been. And it's it's awesome. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's certainly a visual uh, component, right? There's not a lot of, like, racing fans in a sportsbook, but the visual medium, as you guys know, with the sounds and that giant TV and a sports book and the audio certainly lends itself to that experience. Doug, you might not know the answer to this, but from a, from a handle perspective, obviously we know what's King, we know it's Super Bowl weekend, we know it's, it's March Madness, but in terms of the type of traffic that you're gonna find for the greatest spectacle in racing, is that felt in Vegas? Not much at all, not much at all. Now, because of this weekend being relatively slow with the NBA, being dark on Sunday, you might get some guys who throw something who like text a friend or something like that, like, hey, who do I bet on? But no, it, it doesn't drive much handle. The, the sharp money will come in on some matchups, but not even all the sharps bet it. It's, it's definitely, you know, uh, uh, an acquired taste for some odd, odd makers and bettors. As you look at this weekend and you, and you look at the entire slate that's there, we obviously have the Eastern Conference Finals continuing on between the Celtics and the Heat, and then, of course, the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. As you look at this race and trying to handicap it or evaluate it, what are you focusing on? Well, I, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be a super knowledgeable racing fan, right? So in my lane, I'm pretty good, and I, I stick to my guns, and I still aggregate information. But when it comes to a race like this or an event like this, I go straight to the source of, like, a really sharp guy that lives this stuff year-round. I, I just think everything for an exam like I did in college uh, for a couple of days and try to learn something. I think it's all about nuances and knowing more than the average person. So I talked to a guy who's really locked in, and I've got some really good stuff. So matchups are what I'm going to be focusing on uh, in addition to the outright. But the matchups, I think there's a lot of opportunity. So Graham Rahal is a good bet-on guy because his previous car is now in a Chevy, and he's a car that's taken fourth place before there especially in matchups to do well and then sometimes they have index betting so like in golf you know a big masters weekend or something they'll have who's the top senior finisher the top uh you know canadian or the top lefty or something like that so you can bet on groupings and one index is chevy so i would actually bet ray hall i think it's like 20 to 1 you can get them to have the top finish amongst chevy cars so that's something that's interesting I do have Scott Dixon in some matchups. I bet him at seven to one as well to win this thing. I'm oh, sorry, eight to one. But he, in matchups, I think there's, you know, he almost won this thing. He got a penalty last year on pit row for speeding. He really should have won, but he was speeding by a half mile per hour. So I'm definitely betting him. I'm betting Kanan in some matchups. I know he's sort of like a throwback, but he's always in the running on ovals. That's where his experience is. Um, so I, I like the idea of betting him because in his prime, you know, that's where he was. And you can even get him 25 to 1 to win the thing. I, I haven't bet that yet, but I like the matchups with him. 
I'm fading uh, Ed Carpenter. He's a guy who's fast, but he has no experience. He's past his prime, and he hasn't adjusted to newer models. So based on my intel, that's what I'm going with. Doug, when you're betting top tens and top fives, I've hit big the last few years on a guy by the name of Santino Ferrucci. He's got four starts, four top ten finishes, but he qualified fourth. I've actually got a ticket on him to win the race at plus 7,500. Got that before quals even, so banking on that one for sure. But when you're betting top tens and top fives, do you try and keep anything in particular in mind? So those are what we call, as you very well know, one-way betting markets, right? So those are never going to have great like value because it's one way. You can't bet two ways. Like a matchup is two way, right? You can bet on either side, but a lot of these indexes is just a driver to be top 10. You can't bet them not to be in the top 10. So it's important to find value. It's really hard to find value. And if you do, it has to be a really unique situation. So to your point about Ferrucci, his 10 lap average is super fast and it will be a cool spectacle. He'll be in the AJA Foyt paint scheme so he's 15 to one to win this thing, or maybe higher. I, I can't blame anyone for betting him because there is a path to victories. We talk about in the fight game, you know, whether it be MMA or boxing, there is a path for him. But I could see a top 10 payout for sure. Doug, I know you mentioned Ed Carpenter already, but in terms of those that you've talked to within the industry, any other bets that you've been advised or as you've done your your crunching of the numbers to stay away from this weekend? Yeah, just Carpenter's my main guy. I mean, look, you're going to have – I mean, do I think O'Ward could win? Of course, but he's a favorite. And there's other guys I think have a better chance. Um, there's There was a funny prop. Like, we, we have a first-time winner, and I saw, like, minus 175. I thought about getting involved just because you have to fade some of the older names. But no, some of these other guys, like Rossi, I think you have to fade, and one other one. So I, I just didn't want to get involved in that one. But the only guy that, you know – like, for example, I have Dixon against uh, Palau, I think, in a matchup. I'm not sure who that is, but I'm just all in on Dixon. So sometimes you're at the mercy of whoever the book is offering in a matchup. Obviously, it's going to be someone of comparable um, talent and, and potential to win the thing when you're going against Dixon. So, uh, But really, Carpenter's the only guy I was told to sort of fade. But a lot of these guys are solid. It's just about finding, like, you know, the stars aligning. Doug, we've been talking a lot about Dixon today just because it's a rare occasion where he's not the most talked about guy on his team. Alex Pillow leapfrogged him as the fastest pole winner ever. Dixon did that last year. Pillow, his teammate, did that this year. And then Chip Ganassi adds to Kumasato, a two-time champ. Erickson's the defending champ. So th- this is maybe your first time and only time that you're getting Dixon with some plus value. I scooped him at plus 700 uh, before Qualls. Well, that's an interesting point, and, and so often we want to think things are linear and a progression. So if Dixon didn't win last year, it's like, all right, well, he's progressing, but we don't know that. It could be more pressure this year. Maybe he's going to try too hard and force it and not let the race come to him. So there's an element of you being right on the cusp and not necessarily progressing forward. Again, in a linear world, everything progresses forward, but um, that's not always the case in sports. Things have to go right, so... For all we know, Dixon, you know, gained closer last year than he does this year. I just, to your point, to get him at that seven or eight to one, it's something I got to fire on. Doug Kazarian with us, host of the Daily Wager on ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter at Doug ESPN. I want to shift lanes and switch over to the NBA playoffs. You tweeted about it the other day, how wild and just 
frenetic at times these lines have been in the Eastern Conference Finals. Celtics obviously uh, going into what could have been a deciding game four were eight and a half point favorites. Boston's obviously getting the hype and, and continuing to roll with that. Don't let us get one. Now we got two type of mantra. It's easy to get lost in that from a sports fan standpoint, but from a sports betting standpoint, is there a trend at this point as Boston tries to force this thing into a game seven? Um, trends are a little tricky, right? Like we have a segment, sometimes we do trend or trap, right? Just, and it's, it's something that you very well know, recency bias is a Achilles heel for a lot of betters. And it's the last thing you want to let, you know, victimize you just, you know, just because something just happened doesn't mean it's like more, more or less likely to repeat, right? If you flip a coin heads three straight times, it's still 50-50 on that fourth flip. And, but the difference in that is that's obviously clean math. It's inarguable. But in a, in a series, there's tweaked injuries. There's um, coaching adjustments. And it's just a different animal in the playoffs when a team plays each other, in this case, six straight times as opposed to the regular season. The most you'll have is back-to-back meetings. And so you just have to figure out, like, kind of what's going to be going on. Now, in the last game, there was a cluster injury, right, with Gabe Vincent out on top of Oladipo and Hero, so a lot of the same position, the backcourt. I, I think Jalen Brown, is. if there's a trend, he's gone under his point total in every game so far. And there's a little bit of speculation that Miami has sort of figured him out because of his, his handle, his, his inability to dribble at great length, so they can sort of get in his grill and disrupt his shooting. I believe he's like four for 27 or something like that in the series from downtown. So that's like one trend I'm keeping an eye on, but it's all about situational handicapping, not just on the side in total, but also on the props as well. Doug, last thing for me, uh, this is the only time you overhear this, you're talking to somebody on the air, I guarantee it. I'm a Florida Panthers fan, and I know the Vegas Golden Knights are trying to finish up against the Dallas Stars and clinch their ticket to the Stanley Cup final. But I guess my question is for sportsbooks out in Vegas, the Panthers have beaten the, the Bruins, the Leafs, and the Canes in that order. How much money have books lost on the Panthers this playoff? Well, not much because they're not a super popular team, right? They're not an original six. They're not the best team in the regular season like the Bruins are. Not a lot of bets coming in on these underdogs. Now, the Golden Knights, as you know, will always draw handle in Vegas, but Sportsbooks are pretty good about managing their liability. Very rarely do they get caught with their pants down on a champion. They can lay some stuff off. Even the Lakers had huge liability, and they were able to mitigate some of that risk even against the Denver Nuggets in the conference finals. And they still, you know, obviously there were some Western Conference futures that still had to be paid for years. But the books, uh, books are good about, again, this goes back to the one-way betting market, right? They're not going to hang huge numbers if big bets come in. They'll just lower the odds, so they're only vulnerable to a couple tickets out there. He's Doug Kazarian, host of the Daily Wager on ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter at Doug ESPN. Always great catching up with you, Doug. We, we got to link up at some point in time next out route in Vegas. Have a great Memorial Day weekend, and thanks for making time for us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the race weekend. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate you. That's Doug Kazarian. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Doug ESPN.